faith and our, uh, I guess, just some things we need to be in check on regarding faith and repentance as a community together. So uh, the past couple weeks, we've looked at, are you serious about faith? Uh, Last week, we looked at, are you serious about repentance? And today, we're looking at, are you serious about the church? So as we look at Matthew 16 and Acts chapter 2, uh, let me pray and ask God to bless our time in his word this morning. Uh, Father God in heaven, thank you for this morning, a time to gather uh, with your people, as your people. Lord, I thank you for an opportunity to sing praises to you uh, through music and and God, through prayer, through confession, through reading, uh, God, through communion together and through fellowship and relationships together. Uh, God, I pray now as we open your word, I pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would be at work in our hearts and minds. God, that you would give us understanding in our hearts and our minds to um, uh, believe and to repent, and to follow your word. God, that by your spirit you would transform us to be more like your son, Jesus. And we ask that you do this in his name. Amen. Amen. Matthew 16, verses 13 to 20. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, Others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. This is God's word. Friends, the identity and work of Jesus changes who we are, changes how we are to live. And this new identity and purpose together is called the church. What are some misconceptions and expectations you've had of the church? I mean, in our culture, everyone has some misconception of the church or maybe an expectation of church, and it could be a good thing, it could be a bad thing. We are in one of the most uh, highly church-populated areas in the world, and often we find ourselves trying to land at a church that is a good fit for us and a church where we feel comfortable, a church that maybe we can serve. And we walk into that scenario, every single one of us, with expectations. And sometimes that expectation is you want to see a certain thing happen or you want to be served a certain way or maybe you want to participate in serving in a certain way. And often there are misconceptions that fall in there, too, and we find ourselves disappointed. We find ourselves attending a gathering for a while saying, this isn't a really good fit for me, or I'm not really a good fit for this church. And I had a pastor once say, look, if you're looking for a perfect church and you happen to find one, don't go there, because the second you join, it won't be perfect anymore. (laughs) It's because we're all faulty people. We're all broken. We all have struggles. We all have fallenness and brokenness within us. We all have expectations and misconceptions of what a church should be like. But today what I want us to do is look at what Scripture says about the church. Because if the church is an identity that Christ secures for us collectively, 
And the church is informed by a purpose that God has for us as his people. Uh, We need to know what that is. Otherwise, we are not fully living the identity of the church, nor are we fully fulfilling the purpose of the church. So what I want to ask you to do today is be real with yourself, be real with your misconceptions or expectations about the church, and I will prayerfully do the same thing. And let's just open the word of God and see what he has to say. Does that sound like a fair deal? Great. So we've looked at Matthew chapter 16. Just to give you a little context, there's uh, a period of numerous times in Jesus' ministry where, where religious leaders uh, are questioning who this guy is. People are saying, is, is Jesus just another good moral teacher? Is Jesus some uh, philosophical leader or maybe he's some political zealot? Who is this Jesus guy? And so this is one of those occasions where the authority of Jesus is being questioned because here he is uh, doing miracles, teaching, uh, healing people, doing things that, uh, that you have to have authority to do in that culture. And so some religious guys are questioning who, who is Jesus. And so as he's spending time with his disciples, that question comes up, who, who is Jesus? And I love what he says here. He says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? That's how Jesus often referred to himself, the Son of Man. He goes, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they say, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. They're saying, look, maybe Jesus is one of these religious guys from the past. Maybe Jesus is one of these uh, biblical uh, icons from our heritage. But then Jesus asks a direct question. He says to them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And before we go further, I want you to ask yourself that question. Who do you say that Jesus is? Because how we view Jesus, how we understand Jesus, shapes everything about our identity personally, our identity as a church. It shapes our purpose and will manifest in characteristics of of a church that we are striving to be. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You see, Peter's reply is not just something from his own heart, but he's speaking on behalf of the other disciples. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the one that we have been expecting to come bring liberation and freedom from sin, from brokenness, to to gather your people, to gather God's people. You see, there was this expectation throughout the Old Testament that God would indeed show up and restore everything that was broken, that he would gather all of his people who had been scattered across the globe, that he would heal uh, brokenness, and sickness, that he would bring forgiveness of sin and severed relationships and the destruction that follows. And so there's this expectation, and Jesus is the fulfillment of that, and we know that to be true, and Peter recognizes that and says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Listen what Jesus says next. He answers him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I tell you, you are Peter, And on this rock, I will build my church. Here is one of just a couple instances we see in the Gospels of the word church. You see what happens here? People are questioning Jesus' authority, his identity. 
they're speculating, is he this guy, is he that guy, what is he doing? And, and, and Peter proclaims, you were the Christ, the Son of the living God. You were the fulfillment of God's promise to rescue his people. And Jesus says, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now the word church in your Bible is commonly translated from the word, the Greek word, ekklesia. It's the word that means uh, to be gathered or assembled or called out. It's a great word. Often we think of church as a building, right? Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the door. What's up, y'all? Right? Sometimes we think of church as an event, like it's something you go do, right? Sometimes we think of church as a place, like, hey, there's the church over there. And how many times do we have that misconception and we see that, well, I can't go to that church anymore because I moved and I live over here. And so that the church is over there, I'm over here, so, right? Or I want to be a part of a church that does this specific thing, and if the church doesn't do that specific thing, we kind of... But we see biblically the word church, the word ecclesia means called out by God, it means gathered, it means assembled together. And scripturally, the word ecclesia can mean church, like a big C, like the big gathering of God's people from all places, from all time, right? So you're part of the church, like universal is what we say, is that that God is calling people from all over the globe throughout numerous generations for thousands of years. He's gathering his people. That's the church, the big C church. And then church can also mean a local expression of that. It's throughout the Bible. There's little churches popping up in little places like Ephesus, Colossae, Right? Augusta. It's not in the Bible, but it's here. So what you're experiencing here is a local expression of ecclesia. The local expression of God calling people, gathering people, assembling them. As a church planter and pastor for years, we have to study, study, say, what is the church? Why, why are we doing what we're doing? Are we just starting another gathering? Are we just trying to do another hip thing? But what we see is that the church, by nature, is God gathering people. A lot of people. You can't be a church by yourself. You can't be a church by doing something. You can't be a church by building something. You can't be a church by picking somewhere. The church, by nature, is God gathering people, assembling people, calling them out. And Scripture tells us, Jesus himself says, I will build my church. Now, we look at this passage and sometimes say, well, what does that mean? You know, Jesus does this little play on words. He says, you are Peter, but on this rock I will build my church. The word Peter and the word for rock are kind of sound the same in Scripture, like in Greek and Aramaic. And so it's like, hey, um, you're, you're Peter, you're the rock. And some interpret that to mean that Peter's like the first bishop, the first pope, right, who, of the church. But other translations or other interpretations are like, you're Peter, you're the rock, but on this rock I will build my church. Like, you're Peter, the the little pebble, but I'm Jesus, and on that proclamation of me being the Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my church. I will gather God's people from across the globe throughout generations from all their sickness and brokenness and division. I will call them out, I will assemble them together, and gather them to be my people. And I was reading a book a few weeks ago, and a pastor, Andy Stanley, up in Atlanta, had a great definition of the church. He says a church is a people gathered for a specific purpose. That's a great definition. 
Because you see that a church is not just a gathering of people. It is a people gathered for a purpose. God has a purpose for gathering his people. So, what is that purpose? Why does God gather his people? And here's how I want to outline this rest of our time together. Because we see that Jesus is the one who says, Hey, you're Peter, but on this rock I will build my church. Jesus builds his church. Jesus calls out his people. He gathers his people. He assembles his people for his purpose. And so I want us as a little C church, as Redemption Church, an expression of God's building his church. I want to see what that means for you and I today and how our story ties into the grand story of God's calling out of his people. And here's what I see in Scripture, both here in Matthew and in Acts, where we're going to look in a little bit. We see that the, there's the identity of the church and the purpose of the church and the characteristics of the church that all happen as a result of Christ building his church. Okay? There's an identity, there's a purpose, and then there are characteristics that manifest because of Jesus. All right? Let's look at first the identity of the church. The identity of the church, first and foremost, is based on the revelation of God and the person and work of Jesus. Because you see here, as Jesus says, you are Peter, in verse 18, and on this rock I will build my church. What does he say just before that? Verse 17, Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You see, first and foremost, God the Father is the one revealing that Jesus is the answer to the brokenness and the expectation of a deliverer, a Savior to come. This is a work of God. God revealed to Peter that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus didn't convince Peter. Jesus didn't argue with Peter. Jesus didn't say, here's your checklist. Let me show you that I'm all of these things. But rather... God the Father awoken Peter's heart, like took away the dirt from his eyes, and God the Father said, that is the Messiah you've been waiting for. That is the Christ. That is the Savior. All of the scriptures you've read your whole life, this is who is embodying that right now. You see, there's this expectation people have had for generations throughout the Old Testament that God would send somebody to gather his people. And God the Father reveals to Peter that Jesus is that fulfillment. But we see the identity of the church is based on the revelation of God, but also the foundation of Jesus Christ, his, his work and who he is. In verse 13 it says he's the son of man. I mean, this implies like the humble servant who has come to forgive sinners. We see in the book of Isaiah there's an expectation of a suffering servant who would come to redeem God's people. We see that the Son of Man in the book of Daniel is, is, is the one who all authority from heaven has been given, like as a warrior king to come set up his kingdom. God the Father says, here is my son, and go rescue my people, and here's everything you need. This is your kingdom. Go get it going. That's what Scripture tells us. That's who Jesus is. And so Jesus saying, you are Peter, but upon this rock I will build my church. He's saying, look, I'm gathering God's people because God is revealing this to you that that's what I'm doing. He's revealing to you that I am the Christ, that I am the one, I'm the Son of Man, the one who will come once and for all do this. So friends, here's what I want us to know. When we think about the identity of the church, if we're going to take the church serious, if we want to be serious about the church, 
we must implicitly, I must stress, we must understand the identity and the foundation of the church is rooted in the person and work of Jesus. Like we, we can't think that the church is based on anything else. If we think the church is based on a culture, well, culture changes so much, there's no way we can keep up with that. In fact, we can be a huge gathering for a person. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you can say, well, you want to you know, be a, a church, you want to be a gathering of people for a specific purpose. Well, yeah, man, we could do that. I'll, I'll book Radiohead at the James Brown Arena. And we'll have a few thousand people down there. That'll be an ecclesia. There's a few thousand people gathered for a purpose to celebrate good music. So we could do that. But would we be a biblical church? No. Because Scripture tells us that we must understand that the identity of the church and the foundation of the church is rooted in the person and work of Jesus. Because the second we lose sight of him, we're really no longer a biblical church. We'll be divided over cultural lines, over preferences of style, or preferences of whatever, preferences of building. Oh, what? I like older architecture. So do I. We're meeting in a cafeteria. We're still a church. Why? Because this is God's doing. Because we're here to celebrate Jesus. So we have to see that the identity of the church is rooted in the person and work of Jesus. Otherwise, we miss it all. But secondly, we want, to, we want to know what the purpose of the church is, right? Because you're here saying, well, Jeremy, I get it. It's all about Jesus. Now what do I do? Like, what, what am I supposed to do? Like, it's Jesus, his identity, his work, and that changes our identity as a church, as a people gathered by Jesus for his purposes. What, what, what does that mean? The purpose of the church, at its core, this may sound simple, but we... We miss it. Let me just say, the purpose of the church is to proclaim the good news of Jesus and to display the effects of that good news. Sounds simple, right? The purpose of the church is to proclaim the good news of Jesus and to display the effects of that good news. Look what Jesus even says to Peter here. He says, You are Peter on this rock. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Verse 19 I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Right? You see what he says to Peter here? He says, look, man. That's probably how he said it. Look, man. I'm the Christ. I'm building my church. And I'm going to give you a purpose in it. That purpose is to bind and loose. Now, that language sounds kind of weird. Because if I say, hey, this afternoon, make sure you bind up things for heaven and loose things here on earth. You know, that, that sounds kind of weird. But what... Jesus is saying to Peter is the things that you were proclaiming have eternal significance. The things you were proclaiming to people here on earth have an eternal significance in so much as those things are rooted in the personal work of Jesus. For instance, think of the most wicked person you know. Think of the of person who is just a wretched, disturbed, just whatever. If you go to that person... And you say, I love you, man. I want to buy you dinner. And then you shake his hand and walk away. Big deal, right? You bought a meal for a guy. But what if you sit down with that guy and say, man, look, I love you. The way you're living is totally destructive and foolish. I need to proclaim to you some good news about Jesus. I need to lay it out there for you to let you know that how you're acting is not right. And you know you can't fix yourself. 
Uh, but Jesus can. That's binding and loosing stuff that's based on the person and work of Jesus. Think about it this way. What do you think about a person who is just utterly destroyed, who's lost everything? I mean, here's one example. You know, our church uh, gathering started in downtown Augusta, and we're, we're trying to land another facility down there. You can keep praying about that. But very quickly, we meet a lot of uh, poor and homeless and people that are down on their luck. Right, and when you meet these guys, sometimes they'll say, look, man, I'm really hungry. You know how easy, I mean, here's, a cop, here's just such a cop-out. I could give the guy five bucks. Say, Here you go, man, go buy a sandwich. feel good about myself, right? I gave that guy five bucks. He's going to eat. Have I done the job of a member of the church to proclaim Jesus to that man? No. I gave him a sandwich. I could feel good about myself. But the ultimate goal of the church is to proclaim and display the effects of the gospel. Now hang with me because I don't want you to think, man, you're such a jerk. So you're going to preach at the guy and let him starve? No. Because what happens is the purpose of the church is to both proclaim the good news of Jesus and display the effects of that good news. We're going to get to that in a second. But what so often happens is we do these tertiary characteristics while forgetting the primary purpose to proclaim Jesus. So instead of just handing a guy a sack lunch, why not sit down and get to know the guy and say, man, let me tell you, uh, let me hear your story, man. What's going on? And like listen, build rapport with the guy, build a friendship with the guy, hear how he's gotten to the situation that he's in. Sometimes it may be a fault of his own. Maybe he did some stupid stuff, right? Maybe he's a criminal. Maybe, but maybe not. Maybe he has mental illness. Maybe his family abandoned him. There's no telling. And what you end up doing in those moments is as you're, as you're looking to uh, provide some physical thing for him, maybe buy him a sandwich, take him to lunch, in the moment, there comes a moment where you have to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And it could be very simple. It could be like, man, why are you being so nice to me? And you could say, look, man, uh, I was down on my luck and Jesus changed me. And I just want to show you that and tell you that so maybe he'll change you too. Now, I'm getting kind of off track here, but... I can just say I've grown up in this town and I've seen a lot of good action take place devoid of the gospel. I've seen a lot of social justice movements happen to serve poor without the gospel. Do we need to serve them? Yes. With the intent of proclaiming the good news. You don't have to take your Bible and hit people in the face, nor do you have to force them to sit through your goofy Bible study before they have a sandwich. You can give them a sandwich. Bible studies can be goofy, let's just be honest. But there comes a point, man, I'm way off track. The purpose of the church is to proclaim the good news of Jesus and display the effects of the gospel. Both have to go together. If we just display the effects of, hey, Jesus was generous to me, I'm going to be generous to this guy, but I'm not going to tell him about Jesus, then you're not fulfilling the purpose of the church. I'll just say that. And if we ever become those who are socially activists but have no gospel in it, then, I mean, we're not a church anymore. We're just an awesome social activist group or a humanitarian group. The world needs those things. But the church's job is to do that while proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. Does that make sense? You're with me? We'll talk more about that. The mission of the church, the purpose of the church, is to proclaim the good news through the teaching of Scripture. Right? Jesus tells Peter, I'm the, or he, he says, you are Peter, on this rock, I will build my church, I will gather my people, I will build my church. But here's the deal. 
I'm going to give you power and authority to, to go proclaim some stuff, to go bind and loose stuff, to go tell people, you are no longer defined by the sins of your past. That wicked junk you did in college, it's on YouTube, man, that's not you anymore. You were forgiven. You were free. That's another example. If you're here today and you're broken, you're like, man, you have no idea how sinful and wretched my past is. If I just tell you, it's okay, it's fine, you'll be better. And I I, I try to counsel you through the brokenness, but I don't tell you that, hey, look, man, ultimately, as I counsel you through your brokenness, I want you to feel better about yourself. But ultimately, Jesus changes your identity. You're no longer defined by that. I've got to proclaim the good news. Good grief off track. Here's what happens next. I love what Jesus says. He, looks, he says, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Gates are a defensive mechanism of hell. And Jesus says, look, as you're proclaiming the good news, we are advancing the gospel. The gospel is not a defensive thing. The gospel is offensive. It's an advancing thing. So the purpose of the church is to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus and also display the effects of that. And Jesus says uh, that to Peter, this is what his purpose is. And we see this purpose is fulfilled and continued through the apostles to you and I today as part of the church, as those gathered by Jesus. Ephesians 1.22 is a great example. The Apostle Paul's writing to a church in Ephesus, this little church like ours, that's like hanging out in a town that's actually about the size of Augusta. And Paul, the apostle, is writing about Jesus to this church. He was trying to figure out, what do we do? What does the church do? And he says this, talking about Jesus, he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Those are poetic words that the Apostle Paul says, look, as a church, as those who have been gathered by Jesus, God has given Jesus all authority and Jesus has given you that authority to go proclaim the good news, to both display and proclaim who Jesus is. So, First, we must understand that the identity of the church is rooted in the person and work of Jesus. Otherwise, we fall into cultural preference, whatever, and we're not really a church. Secondly, we must understand the biblical purpose of the church is to proclaim the good news as well as display the effects of that good news. Otherwise, we have no idea what we're doing or why we'd be doing it, right? Here at Redemption Church, we don't do this perfectly, but we try to filter everything through the lens of the gospel. Like, if we're doing something, it could be a good thing, but if it has nothing to do with pointing people to Jesus, should we really do it? You can, but our primary purpose is to be those who have been gathered by Jesus to proclaim the good news to each other. We want to lead people to Jesus to lead people to Jesus, 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 Jesus. right? It's a party. Come on. Third, and finally, I'll say this. We have to see the identity of the church as rooted in the personal work of Jesus. The purpose of the church is to proclaim the good news of Jesus while displaying the effects of that. We're going to get to that right now. Because thirdly, we see that the characteristics of the church is an effect of the gospel that's proclaimed. Okay? I don't want you to be like, man, you're such a jerk. You don't like serving people. And I do like serving people. But we see that that's an effect of the proclaimed gospel, right? Because first you proclaim the gospel, and secondly you respond to it, and there's an effect, there's a change that happens. And that's what we see in Acts chapter 2. For example, turn there. Turn there. Acts chapter 2. 
It may be a familiar verse to you if you're familiar with the Bible or church whatsoever. And if you're not, here's some news for you. Acts 2.42 That's describing the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Praise God, right? Are you familiar with that verse? Man, I love reading that because I say, man, I want to be in on that. I want to be there. Let me tell you a mistake I made early on as a church planter. Like we planted this church several years ago. Reggie Horn and I were in a seminary class, right, in New Orleans, Louisiana. Awesome. And we're praying that God would allow us to be part of something here that looks like that. We're like, man, we want to be in on that. We want to see that happen in Augusta. Here's a mistake I made. Reggie didn't make this because he's awesome. I made this mistake. I made a mistake of looking at Acts 2.42 and saying, here's the checklist for a good church. We want to be a church that, and forgive me if you've done this. I'm not trying to mock you. I'm mocking myself because I'm an idiot. All right? Saved by Jesus. All right? I said, look, I want to be a church that we're going to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. We're going to be devoted to the fellowship. We're going to be devoted to this. Look, I misinterpreted that as prescriptive. I thought that was a to-do list. Like, if you want to be a church, you better do that. Friends, let me tell you something. That's not prescriptive. That's descriptive. Here's the difference. When Luke wrote this, the book of Acts, in this passage, he was not saying, every church planter out there must do this checklist if you want to be a Bible church. No. This is a description of what happens when the gospel's proclaimed. And then afterwards, the Holy Spirit's like moving and like churning up people's hearts and like changing people's identities. There's people believing in faith. There's people repenting of sin. And then that's what it looks like. Here's the difference. Because this is such a, like a, a church planting method today. People are like, oh, we've got to do the purposes of the church. You can't, you can't do that. You can't do that. You cannot be devoted to teaching. You cannot be devoted to fellowship. You know why? Because you have preferences. You have style issues. You have geographic aversions. But what happens? Here's what we'll do. I need to shut up and we need to rewind a couple verses. Go back to Acts 2, verse 36. This is jamming. I'll sum up Acts chapter 2. What happens is like the Holy Spirit empowers Peter to preach this great sermon. Right? He just filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that inspires Scripture to be written, the Holy Spirit that's like awakening people and calling people out to be part of Jesus' church. Peter stands up and preaches this awesome sermon in Acts 2. Just read Acts 2 today at lunch. He just lays it out there, who Jesus is, what he's done. He's the fulfillment of God's plan. He's rescuing people. He died for sin. He rose again from the dead. Look what happens in verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart 
and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. Oh. Then what happens? Then they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. And they had glad and generous hearts. You see what happens? We cannot miss, friends, that what happens is the proclamation of the gospel evokes a response. Like they didn't serve their way into that society to build a church. The Holy Spirit empowered Peter to proclaim who Jesus is and what he did. And then the guys respond, like, what should we do? And he said, repent. That means, we talked about this last week, that means to turn from your sin. It means to turn from your functional saviors and preferences and idols. It means to turn to Jesus. That's exactly what these guys do. You have forgiveness for sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I love what Peter says. He goes, this promise is for you and your children and for those who are far off. That's us. Everyone who the Lord God calls to himself. Call. It's related to the word ecclesia. Church. God calls out people. As God calls, he builds his church. The, the ecclesia is going on. <laughs> when the gospel's proclaimed. Those who received his word were baptized, and they were added to that day about 3,000 souls. That's jamming. So what does it look like when people, when the word of God is proclaimed, when the gospel's proclaimed, and people respond with faith and repentance and get baptized, and they receive the word of God, and the Holy Spirit comes down? What happens? Acts 2.42. Then you're devoted to the apostles' teaching. That's the scriptures. That's what we have. The fellowship, the relationship we have with each other, the relationship we collectively have with God. That's fellowship. That's participation and community together. The breaking of bread, that, that means sharing meals together, but also communion. The, the prayers, that means collectively as we pray together, gathered, and also as you pray alone or with your spouse or with your family. All came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed, faith. All who had faith, all who believed were together as community, as fellowship, had all things in common. That means they just shared stuff. That doesn't mean they were communists. That means when Joe said, hey, Bob, can I borrow your lawnmower? Bob said, you sure can, and I'll even put gas in it. That's what that means. They didn't all live in a hut in the mountains. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together, they were worshiping corporately together, breaking the bread in their homes. They were hanging out in each other's houses. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. One of my favorite verses in that passage, glad and generous hearts. Did it say they were doing glad and generous things? No. Were they? Yes. But what was more important? They had glad and generous hearts. Their hearts had been transformed. Why? Because somebody proclaimed the gospel, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and they responded in faith and repentance and obedience. You tracking? That's the purpose of the church. 
That's the purpose of the church. We find our identity rooted in the person and work of Jesus. Our identity personally, you're no longer defined by the sins of your past, you're defined by Jesus. We find that identity collectively. We are not just a bunch of people listening to music and some guy scream in a lunchroom at a school somewhere. We are a church. We are those who have been gathered by God today for the purpose of hearing the gospel proclaimed and the purpose of proclaiming the gospel and then displaying the effects of that gospel. So what are the effects of the gospel? The ones that are right there. The, the effects of the gospel, after you hear it proclaimed and you receive it and you repent and you believe, the effects of the gospel are having glad and generous hearts, being generous to people, serving serving those in the church, serving those in your community, serving the poor, serving the homeless, building houses, going to work tomorrow, serving your wife, serving your kids, changing diapers, mopping a floor, buying a sandwich for a guy and taking the time to eat lunch with him and hear his story and share the gospel with him. Doesn't that sound like fun? Here's the deal. In my flesh, I'm tempted to say, come on, let's get on it, let's do it. But you know what I'm not going to? I've been praying all week that the Holy Spirit would come wreck us to make us this. Because unless the Holy Spirit shows up and convinces us of this stuff, I'm just some bumbling guy. Yeehaw. But you know what? God is good. And I've seen God do some miraculous things. And when Jesus says in Matthew 16, on this rock, I will build my church, I believe him. Jesus is gathering his people for the past 2,000 years across the globe. Globally, Jesus is building his church. Locally, Jesus is building his church. In this room, your story connects to the story of this church's story, that Jesus is building his church. Jesus said he will do it. I believe him. I look at Acts chapter 2 here. And the apostle Peter, who Jesus said, what you loose will be loose, what you bound will be bound, go do this. Jesus did that. I mean, Peter did that in Acts 2, empowered by the Holy Spirit, just did what Jesus said he was going to do. And look what happens. I mean, <laughs> I just I want to read that one sentence again. This promise, he says, look, repent, believe, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Those are promises. If you repent, you believe, you're baptized, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know what? This is a promise, Scripture says. Verse 39, this is a promise, and it's for you and for your children and for those who are far off and for everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. That's a promise. And you know what? I trust the promises of God. That's belief. That's faith. So here's the deal, friends. We've gotten a little off track, but we're trusting the Lord with this one. We must understand that these characteristics of the church is something that manifests. It's, it's not a prescription of what you must do, but rather it's a description of what happens when the Holy Spirit moves in our hearts and minds to repent, to believe, to be baptized, and to obey this is what happens. I don't want to convince you to be dedicated to teaching. I don't want to guilt you into wanting to be in this fellowship. I don't want to 
guilt you into worshiping with us on a Sunday. I don't want to guilt you into serving the poor in your community. I don't want to guilt you into serving the children of this church. I don't want to guilt you into loving one another. I don't want to guilt you into that. I am begging the Holy Spirit to wreck our our stubborn minds and our hardened hearts who are constantly distracted by preferences and blah, 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 blah. And I'm just praying the Holy Spirit will just floor us and say, look to Jesus. Jesus is calling out his people. Jesus is building his church. Now, the purpose of this church is to proclaim the gospel because when the good news of Jesus is proclaimed and people respond in repentance and faith and baptism, the Holy Spirit comes down, wrecks people, and then... They're devoted to the teaching. They're devoted to one another. They're glad and generous hearts. You don't have to ask people for anything. They'll just give it to you because they love you and they love Jesus. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. I want to take the church. I want to be serious about the church. You know what? Ephesians 5 said that Jesus died for the church. So I'm serious about this mess. I want you to be serious about it too. In closing... I want to share with you three things quickly. Our church, in the past near decade of some sort of existence, from two guys in New Orleans <laughs> at O'Flaherty's Irish pub, you know, we just had shepherd's pie and a couple other Holy Ghost-inspired situations. From two guys in New Orleans trying to to figure out what the Lord's doing in Augusta and to a handful of people meeting in somebody's living room in North Augusta committing to pray for months and months and months. And then we we met at all kind of different locations all over the city. We've had good times. We've had hard times. At the end of the day, I believe that Jesus is gathering people in this city and he's using this little church to do it. And it's not, not because we're doing anything different or hip or cool. It's because the Holy Spirit's up to something. And Jesus is fulfilling his promise to build his church. And I'm really excited about it. And last year, when we moved into this school, it was not a permanent thing. We're not going to be here forever unless Jesus says so. Unless the school just says, here, have the building. Awesome. We'll put a steeple on this junk. It'll be awesome. <laughs> last year, when we first started meeting here, I shared with you three things that I was committed to praying for for the year. And it's been almost a year, so I'm going to go ahead and share them with you again. And I'm going to keep praying for these things. I will post them on on the city and Facebook today because I would love for you to commit to pray for these things as well for our church because I don't want to do these things and be superficial and goofy. I want to pray that the Holy Spirit would change us and wreck us to shape us to be his called out ecclesia, his church. All right, three things. Gospel depth, community depth, and missional depth. So the three things I've been praying for this church. We often say the purpose of Redemption Church is gospel, community, mission. Here's what I mean. Gospel depth is that we as a church would grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That we would grow in our scriptural understanding and application of the scriptures together. That we would grow in faith and repentance. That we would grow in joy and humility. That's my prayer for gospel depth for Redemption Church. Secondly, community depth. I pray that we would deepen existing relationships in this church fellowship as well as in the community and city at large, that we would grow in our life-on-life application of the gospel, no matter how different we are, that we would grow through our missional communities and DNA groups, just through natural forming friendships over karaoke and margaritas. Praise God. It's biblical. It really is. 
I pray that we would grow in community depth by exhibiting the one another's of Scripture, such as love one another, fellowship with one another, forgive one another, accept one another, serve one another, teach one another, be patient with one another. Thank you for doing that right now. Pray for one another. Submit to one another. Encourage one another. Those are just a few examples. I'm praying that the Lord would grow us in community depth like that. Thirdly, I'm praying that we would grow in missional depth. What I mean by that is that we would grow in our personal proclamation of the gospel, sharing Jesus through your mouth, and demonstration of the effects of the gospel. Everything that, we should, that this says to do, I'm praying that we would grow in that because the Holy Spirit's moving. Not that we would fake it, but just we'd be like so moved by the Holy Spirit to exhibit those things. I'm praying that we would grow in missional depth, both in personal demonstration and proclamation of the gospel, that our missional communities that exist throughout the city would influence the cultural context from the downtown hipsters to the suburban soccer moms to the downtown med students to our soldiers, men and women in uniform at Fort Gordon. I pray that God would move in North Augusta, in Edgefield, in Aiken, in Evans, in Grovetown, in Martinez. Last night there were a group of people in downtown Augusta singing karaoke to the glory of God. That was awesome. You know where else there were people singing karaoke? At the Columbia County Library. And as I was sitting there with my wife watching these kids, it was a kid's karaoke. It was nothing more cute than a four-year-old singing. If you likey, then you've got to put a ringy on it. It was the cutest thing I've ever seen. Right? And as I was looking around, as I was looking around, I was thinking, you know, years ago, I don't know, I mean, like, it, I was looking, I don't know, I was just looking around thinking there are 300 suburbanites that need Jesus. Right? Right there. A couple of days ago, I was in my office on Broad Street thinking, wow, look at, there's like hundreds of people down here today. They need Jesus too. There's a pride parade. They need Jesus. There are people who go to Christian school here. They need Jesus. Right? We all need Jesus. So I'm praying that we will grow in our influence and missional depth, that we would make disciples of non-Christians and that we would disciple existing Christians, that there would be a personal partnership and discipling and mentoring, that we would raise up new leaders to lead, to teach, to preach, to lead worship, to disciple other people, to thrive in business and culture in Augusta, Georgia, that we would plant churches through funding, through training, through coaching, that we would develop a team of people in this room to go plant a church somewhere to the glory of God, that we would grow in our international influence, whether it be in South America, Africa, or Europe, or Edgefield. That's, okay, sorry. (laughs) Friends, I will post this online today. I'm going to ask you and us as a church, if we are serious about the church, if you are serious about the church, the called out ones of God, who Jesus is gathering and building to exhibit this kind of stuff, I'm going to ask you to pray for gospel depth, community depth, and missional depth for Redemption Church. You with me? Awesome. Let me pray. Father God in heaven, thank you for this morning. Got a time to um, look at your word. God, your word is so deep. It's so thick. It's so beautiful. Jesus, thank you that you are the fulfillment of all of our expectations, our need to be rescued. Thank you that you were the Son of Man, the Messiah, the Christ, Son of the living God, the one who is coming to rescue and save and gather and build your church, to call out your people, your exiles, those who are in brokenness and sin and idolatry, those who are downcast and poor in spirit, those who are confused. God, I pray that you would gather us all Gather us by your Spirit 
by your work, Jesus, that we would exhibit who you've called us to be and the purpose that you've called us to do. God, I pray that there would be a movement of the Holy Spirit and the good news of Jesus rippling out from this place in our lives personally, in our missional communities, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces. God, I pray that this would be something that you do so that you get the credit and we don't, that we just get to experience your goodness. God, I pray that you would indeed grow us in gospel depth, community depth, missional depth. I pray that you do this for your glory, our joy, and the advancement of the good news of Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.